Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film V for Vendetta. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen it, just be aware that the plot will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. There ought to be a law with the sheriff on the phone. Lord have mercy, how'd she even get them bridges on? And honky tonk, but honky tonk. Hello. Oh, hey, sorry. I was I was still in the chat window um, sending you a picture of Roy Wood from the band Wizard. Oh, Roy Wood from Wizard. Yeah, everyone knows and loves Wizard. They've definitely got more songs than that one song that's on every Christmas album, right? I think they definitely do. Let's have a little deep dive into Wizard. Well, I wish it could be Wizard every day. With a keyboardist with a beard that lasts for days. I thought you, you were going to make it about Wizard Cop. No, Wizard. When the cops start shooting and the magic starts. I Yeah, Wizard Cop would eventually have a Christmas single, wouldn't it? But yeah, it would. Or would there be like a Christmas special movie like Die Hard? Yes. Yeah. Like how Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I know this is technically our like, remember, remember the 5th of November episode. But yeah, we can reheat that old that old turd can't we <laughs> remember was that the phrase reheating a turd <laughs> well-known phrase <laughs> remember remember the days before people used to say ha die hard's my favorite christmas movie no i can't remember a time before that <laughs> could you remember can you imagine right that like a decade ago okay we did have like twitter and stuff but social media wasn't so embedded was it i know we talk about this all the time but yeah, or 15 years ago, for example, you know, things were just so completely different, weren't they? At that point, you'd never have had to heard of, of anyone who thinks that Die Hard is a Christmas film. Yeah. Unless you go down to your local Apollo video store and the nerd behind the counter is like, huh, it's my favorite Christmas movie. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> Did you have an Apollo video when you were growing up? No, we didn't. We had Blockbuster. Oh, Yes. There is still, I think, one blockbuster open in Portland. Oh, really? Yeah, he's the last one. He's like the last... I think it's like a franchise, but the guy is the last one standing. And now people flock to it because it's a thing. And of course, they had the opportunity to buy Netflix for an incredibly small amount of money, didn't they, back in the day? Mm. Blockbuster. Yeah. Was was that at the time when Netflix was just a DVD through the post? I think so, yeah, yeah. Like Love Film. Remember Love Film? Oh, Love Film. I love film. They definitely loved films. Yeah, they were all about it. You'd get a DVD in the post and they'd be like, I love this film. It would have a note on it saying, I love this film. Yeah, I really love this film. Someone working there would be like, oi, this film's great. Yeah. So so Wizard had three albums from the looks of it. Obviously, okay. obviously Roy Wood is a big old glam rock fella in all, yep. in all sorts of great bands. But... um. But yeah, Wizard, Wizard were more than just a Christmas single, which is nice. Yeah, I, I was being unfair to them, obviously. But it is a Christmas classic, that one. It is. Especially as it starts with the chiming piano and then there's someone going on it. It is one of my favourite Christmas songs, actually. Is it? Yeah. I mean, you know my favourite Christmas song is the one you don't like. Yeah, Good King Wenceslas. Lass. Good King, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Christmas Rapping. Is, yeah, yeah, is, obviously. Is so I'm I'm coming around to it. You know, I, I've said in the past that I hate it, but I th- I feel like this year I'm going to be open hearted. I'm g- open hearted, should I say? I'm going to be, you know, it's the season of goodwill and everything, so I'm going to open my heart to that song and try and let it in. It's just awesome. It's excellent. Yeah, I know you love a bit of sassy sassy brass. Yeah. That that's true actually. I was listening to a lot of sassy brass songs today. On my walk into work this morning, I put on a live version of I Can't Go For That by Hall and Oates, which already has one of the best sax solos in it. This is the version from the greatest hits live album, and the sax solo is just out of this world good. Could you say that? 
That's the whole thing. There you go. Welcome to free music. Welcome to the Paddy pretends to be a saxophone cast. Um, hey, I I could get that off the ground very easily if I wanted to. <laughs> could you say that you would go for sax? Oh yes, yes you could. Absolutely, yes can do. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, that's you're right. Actually, the, maybe the reason that I'm feeling inclined to like that song now is that I'm in a sassy brass mood at the moment, and I don't know why. It just comes upon you sometimes, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I really love that song, and I love the waitresses. Um, and and yeah, they're an interesting band, and and it's the only sort of like new wavy post punky Christmas song. Yeah, it's got that real unique place. Everyone else of that era thought they were too cool for Christmas. Yeah. Exactly. Well, nobody's too cool for Christmas. No. Even Kanye. I mean, Kanye is not cool about anything. <laughs> That's he's true, a, actually. He's, he's a, a very uncool he person. A, he is a, here's a hot take for you, Kanye. Kanye is a massive Kanye. Um, he's, a, he's a big old loser. I'm sorry. <laughs> he really is. And everyone goes on about the genius marketing. It's like, is it really? Or is he just randomly putting shite out and he's become too big to fail? Yeah, he's talking absolute bollocks all the time <laughs> constant shit talker yeah but he loves to talk bollocks about how great he is in a way that's just so over the top that everyone's like oh he must be ironic but maybe actually he genuinely really does love himself yeah, that much I, I and thinks think, he's a god i don't think there is that irony or savvy behind it i think it's another case of people reading far too much into things you mean like shia labeouf <laughs> old shia who incidentally is apparently in a film now that's quite good. The Peanut Butter Falcon, is that it? Yes, yeah. That's I see a trailer for that every time I go to the local fancy cinema. Ah, the fancy cinema. It looks cinema. fine. It, it looks a bit too deliberately tear-jerky, and I kind of... If there's, if there's one know. thing that Rob Gordon hates, it's crying against his will. Well, <laughs> the thing is that I am an emotionless husk, and I don't really cry at anything. <laughs> So when a movie is deliberately trying to pull on the heartstrings, I'm like, fuck off, get out. <laughs> get out of what here. What are you doing? It's like, yeah. And it, it looks interesting. And I, it looks like one of those good old coming of age, going on a trip, up against the odds, unexpected friendship movies. Yeah, I think it looks and, like a lot of fun. And and they're, they're, they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. I like that kind of movie. But I wonder how much depth there is behind it beyond those tropes but i will probably see it when it comes out yeah when it comes to streaming yeah or maybe i'll go and see it at the cinema oh yeah you, you think it could be worth a trip to the fancy cinema yeah maybe maybe um but yeah i do i don't know those movies that are like oh you're gonna cry it's like it's like the old pixar problem where it's like we're gonna make you cry over some toys yeah, i was gonna say have you seen the first 10 minutes of up yeah, so, well, if that didn't do it, your stupid little animations aren't going to do it. If I, if I didn't but it's cry, a lamp, and the lamp has a kid, and the... Yeah, anyway. If I didn't cry at the end of Mighty Max, the greatest 80s cartoon, <laughs> do you remember Mighty Max? Yeah, yeah. Do you, know how, do you know how that ended? No. That's got an ending that Pixar I could learn I from. saw much of it. So, yeah. spoiler, spoiler alert for 80s toy commercial slash cartoon, Mighty Max... <laughs> At the end, everybody dies and they manage to, before they die, insert some kind of um, time cycle so it all reverts right back to the first episode. Oh, so, what? So the whole of the show is an entire loop of them going on this journey and dying over and over and over again. That sounds like computer programming. It is It is super depressing. And like, yeah, up, up. Oh, I've got a house with some balloons and it's sad. Up yours more like. And there's a dog that looks at squirrels. I'm sorry, but that is nothing compared to the existential dread caused by an endless death loop in a toy commercial. That is How old were you nice. when you saw that? Three, four? Oh, I was born watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Came out the womb, there it was. Right. <laughs> there it was, the weird little owl man, the big bearded muscle fella, the sassy kid, and death. I mean, what more do you need? Those are the, the four characters. <laughs> Not just the characters, but the building blocks of, of civilization. Yeah, this is what we learned on our creative writing master's degree, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there's no point in you writing any story unless there's a sassy kid and an owl magician man. And death. And death. Lots of death. That's why everyone loves Arthur Miller. Death of a salesman. <laughs> yeah. Death of an owl man. Yeah. Death, death of an owl man. That was the original title for Watchmen, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Just to provide to segue it into it, talking about Beef of Vendetta. Yes. So via Alan Moore, who as you know, I'm on the fence about. I think he has actually done some really good things and actually V for Vendetta is some of his best work, but I just think he's massively overrated by the comics community. Uh I don't know. I think there's a the comics community is weird. It's yeah. it's I and I I mean that in the very broad sense. It's it's a weird place because you've got it's it's not so much a community as various different factions of strange people who hate each other. Yeah. So you've got you've got the 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 pure comic books are for superheroes lot, and then you've got the offshoot of that who are the purists who are effectively the little alt right people who have been doing all of the comics gate nonsense and things like that. Um, and yeah. and and like the core. Did the you core see that thing of, by the way that Alan Moore? put in one of his comics i think i i, I think remember. i sent it to you so yes it's probably um, you that sent yeah, it to me yeah. yeah um where he was highly critical of um of the comics gate lot uh guess what people alan moore renowned far right uh, far left winger uh does not care much for your attempts to keep comics pure yeah i, I should read it out just because it's it's like a um a fake letter in one of his comics Dear Al and Kev, as a middle-aged conservative incel sitting wedged behind my keyboard, trolling Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez with my Batman t-shirt covered in Pringles, can I just ask, with a straight face, why you're leaving the comics business? Yours, Hiram J. Comicsgate III, Oklahoma, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, and you know what makes that is the name Hiram. Yes. I don't know why. It's just funny. Yes, yeah. It's, it's great. Um... And and yeah, so so Alan Moore does not care much for that sort of crowd. Then you then you've got. Yeah, so when I read that, he went up in my estimation. Massively. But but that's what kind of person that Alan Moore is. Is he's uncompromising and actually he's he's a man with a lot of the right ideas and a man with a lot of the right scope. And you know that the given that he's he made such revolutionary steps back in the eighties, I think it's. It's mm. it's notable that he's made he he's changed the comics landscape for good. You know, without him, I think it would be a much less interesting place. And definitely, it would be even more stuck in the the loop of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It would it, it would just be that, and then indie comics, and that's all there would be. And there wouldn't be any scope for people to think outside of that, and also have that level of self reflection that Alan Moore brought to the industry as a whole. Because Alan Moore's at his best when he he pushes the line of what it means to be a um, what it means to be a writer in the comics world, I guess is the yeah. best way of explaining it. Um, and and so like in in the eighties, you had these two divergent strands of criticism of the larger superhero comics world, and you had Watchmen on one side, and then you had The Dark Knight Returns on the other, which I don't know if you've read uh um, no i haven't but it's a it's a really good um it's it's a batman comic set in the future and it sort of looks at the landscape that people like batman left behind in their wake and how society was sort of formed and it's all about old man batman getting back into the groove yeah yeah um, so yeah that and watchmen and there's a couple of others that are still like really highly regarded by um comics and especially comics academia which i used to be in and i'm not really in anymore but yeah they, those are the ones that people always go on about as like the graphic novels in the 80s that revolutionized the medium and people are still talking about them in that way on academic panels so this is why i don't go to academic conferences anymore because you want to talk about sad boys okay, yeah, sad, wanna, sad, boy, sad boy comics sad boys and owls <laughs> and dogs but but whereas um so the dark knight returns uh was by frank miller and whereas frank miller hasn't really done anything great since um i think it's probably fair to say um <laughs> it was, so did he do sin city before or after that so sin city i don't know when that was i think that was the early 90s instead um but like sin city doesn't do anything in the same way as sort of 
looking at comics and changing it that way. Sin City is very much a sort of ultra-violent pastiche of the noir rather than the pastiche yeah. of the comics world. It was um, early 90s, 91 to 92. And then you've got 300, which is just meh. I've not engaged with that. I've it's, never seen the stupid film. The, the, never... the stupid film is amazing. Is it stupid? It is super stupid. It's But it's really enjoyable stupid. But it has all of these weird sort of nasty might is right overtones to it and 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 that stems from the comic as well um so whereas miller never really got back to it um alan moore kept pushing the button in that way and i think that's why the comics world still still thinks of him that good but there has been this this backlash to him as a persona in the comics universe and i guess part of that is because he's a pretty prickly person it's fair to say yeah um and and so Whereas a lot of people in comics are desperate to sort of open up the industry to other people and, and share and be like, hey, come look at how good comics are. Alan Moore's approach has generally been, I don't really give a shit if you want to read these or not. I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, he has um, an admirable con- contempt for most people. <laughs> yeah, which, which I like, but I think maybe that rubs some people up the wrong way when there's so many people that want to try and open up a, a market that is, you know it is struggling it is a very uh, comics are not in the same position as they were back in the heyday when you know everyone was reading them and although there's been this resurgence of indie comics it's not the same and it's very much a kind of closed book in terms of the kind of people who read indie comics that's not like the mass market appeal that marvel and dc used to have and there's been big issues with how do marvel and dc in particular how do they reach a new young audience without losing their older audience of people in their 30s and 40s who started reading them when they were kids and the ones who actually have the money to go and see the films and buy the toys and whatever and buy the comic books because you know all of these things stem from the comics but how many people read the comics versus see the movies versus play the video games exactly it's Um, not 14 year olds who are going into these comic shops every week to get the comics like it used to be is it no and marvel's been trying to do it by by putting out characters like miles morales as like the new spider-man and they're trying to they've been trying some interesting things but they get then again there has been this backlash from their older fans who are like this is not the kind of thing i want to read so the question remains well should you not be should you not be accepting that they're looking to do something new and there's always going to be comics for you there's always going to be classic spider-man style stories or maybe you should be reading things like watchmen or i don't know the boys is a bit immature but at least it does i don't know if you've read the boys at all no no Um, is it about us it's it's about it's about us no it's it's another sort of um criticism of uh of superheroes done in a much less smart way <laughs> than, than watchmen but um right. th- that's been changed into an amazon prime tv show which actually takes out a lot of the bad stuff like a lot of the violence against women um which is a real problem with the comic and sort of they got some women in refrigerators oh yeah all that sort of crap is in it it's quite nasty and that's where it really falls down but the core idea is um superheroes are a capitalist industry when they make mistakes they're covered up in the name of profits here's a bunch of people who don't have superpowers who try and uncover that and get justice for when superheroes fuck up and that and that's like the main main concept of the comic and of the show but the show does it in a much smarter way and kind of turns the lens on like the marvel cinematic universe and things like that in a much better way than the comic does so the the for for once the adaptation is is much better than the comic whereas i don't think you can say that very often and bringing it back around to this week's film i don't think you can really say that about the movie adaptation of v for vendetta either no i'd say that's fair although i rewatching this having not seen it i think actually since it came out i actually quite enjoyed it uh, more than i was expecting to anyway yeah i enjoyed it a lot i i, I enjoy this film um but it does suffer from the same thing that a lot of alan moore adaptations suffer from in that they don't get that cynicism yeah um so so it feels kind of watered down but i think alan moore isn't a cinematic writer really his stuff is very difficult to adapt across the board isn't it yeah so i mean they did a good job with the first half of the watchman movie i'd say 
Um, yeah, I thought it was all right. Which was pretty good. And overall, I think it's pretty good. But again, it falls into that trap of these are not characters that you're supposed to necessarily agree with and see as heroes. Um, but through the lens of cinema, not everybody can make sure that you think of these people as anti-heroes or just thinking of them as characters on the screen. And you see it time and time again, like lots of people have criticized the Joker for thinking, oh, why are we making a hero out of it? And it's like, well, even within a film that's so clearly intending you not to see him as this hero, like Joker, you still have these people making those um, those kind of critiques because when you go to the cinema, the vast majority of the time, the person that you see throughout the movie, you see as the charismatic lead. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very common mistake because analyzing any kind of culture, isn't it? That thinking that the protagonist is automatically a hero and that you have to relate to them. Yes. And I think in comics, it's much easier to not do that because you can, you can branch out that scope a lot more into different characters so watchmen spent huge chunks of it in written segments that aren't comics or a comic within a comic or jumping from character to character easily like one page on one one page on another and v for vendetta again the comic spends a lot less time on v and a lot more time on the world around v than the Mm. movie does um, and, and part of that's to do with constraints, part of it's to do with the structure that films have to have versus the structure that comics have to have, and also to do with like the, the sheer breadth of time. You know, you've got two and a half hours at most, really, maybe three if you're pushing it and you want to hate your audience and don't know how to edit um, to tell a cinematic story. What do you do with all of the world building? What do you do with all of that pacing? You generally cut it down and focus on the core story yeah absolutely and you know you you think about how differently the wachowskis could have done it i don't know you know yeah and and i think they they clearly played up the attempts to make v into a more of a heroic character than he is in the comics where there's a lot more gray areas in that about you know yeah he's more of a kind of ruthless killer in the comic isn't he yes yeah which i appreciate more i think it works a little bit better there than that's what you like I love a good ruthless killer. Um, you know, that's what I want in stuff. That's what I want in my stories. Ruthless killing all the way down. I want, you want to push Mad Max, uh, Mad Max, Mad Mighty Max, Max into that, into the <laughs> volcano, etc. And Mad Max too. And Mad Max, push him into a volcano. Well, well Mad Max is the perfect example of, of, of that, um, of that character study where, um like for instance when mad max fury road came out everyone's saying oh mad max isn't even really the main character in the film it's like yeah he's never been the main character he's been the main character in like one of the four mad max movies <laughs> that, that he he is this constant drifter in th- throughout all of them but because of the structure of cinema and the way that we think of it you automatically think of him as being the main character in whatever he's yeah in. exactly and if you look at v for vendetta People think it's V's story because he's the freedom fighter. He's he's it's his Guy Fawkes mask on the posters and everything. But really, it's Evie's story. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, and the movie does an all right, an all right job of capturing that story. I think they, yeah. they they've they've sanitized it a bit, and I think by sanitizing it, they've kind of taken away a bit of the power because. I'm kind. Uh, I'm kind of sick of seeing all of these clean fascist states in movies. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like every time there's some kind of near future fascist state, it's always super, super clean and tidy and neat. And like that's not that's not what fascist states look. It's like. not how it they're, happens. They're they're messy and dirty and cruel. And, Hitler and never washed his hands. He never washed his hands. What uh, f- f- interesting fact for you? He had incredibly bad problems with body odor. Really? Did is is that actually Hitler. true? It's actually true, yeah. That wouldn't surprise um, me. No, I mean, he looks like a smelly man, doesn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. In all but, the pictures, he looks like he's sweating profusely. Yes, yeah. Um, but but that's... Uh, and so the the comic kind of captured that, and it captured the messiness, and it captured the the fact that nobody quite knew what anybody else was doing, and that's that's part of why the state succeeds in that in that chaos. Whereas here, everything feels quite neat and tidy and cohesive. And I guess within movies, it's not so easy to, to show that that messiness, I guess. No, and it's like, unless um, that's the point of the movie, it's going to be swept to one side, isn't it? 
Yeah, and, and and instead just be like, here's London. It it's a neat little London. It's clouds. like the London you know, but there are some things different. Yeah, like BBC has worse comedy than normal. <laughs> yeah, thing. it's got Stephen Fry doing a satire and then getting killed for it. Yeah, which you know, I know oh, he's not be... killed, is it? Because you see his face at the end in the crowd of um, people when they take off their masks. But it's 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 that kind of thing, isn't it? It's 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 uh, oh, this is a slightly a slightly nastier version of the world that you already know, and I I don't think that the the movie necessarily captured the tone of the the comic book in that way. No, especially um, as they decided to set it in the future rather than in the um, the nineties, as the well the comic was in the eighties and then set in the 90s as a response to Thatcherism and that's actually something very very different from what the film was aiming to do I guess it yeah, feels it's I, like more of an Americanized political context yeah and I think Alan Moore really um captured that um where he um I can't remember the specific quote of it but he was not he was not keen on this movie I, th- I um, thought that he never watched it no, I think he was because he wasn't credited, and he said he didn't want any royalties either, because right? he um, had been unhappy with previous adaptations of his work. Yeah, I think he didn't watch Watchmen, right? Um, but I think he watched this and was grumpy about it. That um, sounds like our Alan. Which, which sounds, sounds like our Alan. Sounds like our, <laughs> our English Rasputin, as he is so fondly known. <laughs> um, yeah, it. Um, so so Alan Moore, uh, so maybe he didn't see it, but he certainly read the script of it. So upon reading the script, he said that it had been turned into a Bush-era parable by people too timid to set a political satire in their own country. It's a thwarted and frustrated and largely impotent American liberal fantasy of someone with American liberal values standing up against a state run by neoconservatives, which is not what the comic V for Vendetta was about. It was about fascism. It was about anarchy. It was about England. And I think that's all fair to say. Um, Maybe it's a bit cruel because I do think that this movie has a place and I think it, it does a decent enough job um, of telling a story, even if it does deviate from the original work i think it works within its own realm and it works within its own universe and its own laws um but i think that kind of gets to the core of where it where those where the two stories deviate you know viva veneta as a comic is very very british it's very very set in its time it's very much about the nature of fascism whereas this is very much about the nature of hopeful revolution i guess and it's it's that slight twist of where the focus is that really changes the entire dynamic of both the works yeah and you don't get much in the film of actually how it all happened whereas i think the comic has a bit of the fascists actually being democratically elected and that kind of thing you get a bit of that in the film but you don't get very or as much of the political context as i think you would like or i would like anyway yeah i I think that's fair to say um but what saves the film from being just totally stuck in that american paradigm is the british casting which i think is actually really good i can't think of any actor in this film who disappointed me uh i would say i don't really care that much for natalie portman in it oh yeah but she's not british no but of the british cast or the australian cast so hugo weaving's australian isn't he oh yeah that's right i just Um, think of him as elrond (laughs) yeah I don't um, they, think of him as being, you know, English or British or whatever. I think he was being an he's Elvish. A, he's a half elf. Yeah. Um. I. I. Um. I love him in this. I think this is one of his best performances. Um. From a an actor who puts out great performances constantly. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, he, he's a terrific. He's a terrific actor, and the fact that he does so much without you ever seeing his face, um, really shows how great he is um and so you know you think of him as elrond you think of him as agent smith in the matrix and you think of him here and all of them really typify his performances yet this is the only one where you you never see him give an expression ever no um and it, it, it works perfectly but apart from that yeah the rest of the cast um really great um you know stephen fry is stephen fry stephen um, rear is stephen rear <laughs> is it rear like chris rear they're not chris related Rhea. are they uh no Stephen Rear doesn't have to drive home for Christmas he wants to he gets driven his fascist presents (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I was thinking but, of Christmas songs that are not good. I hate that one. I don't like that one either, but I do That's like a stinker. Going, I, I always sing it as driving home for Christmas, gonna get some fucking presents. <laughs> and it really, it really annoys everybody when I, when I just keep singing that. They're like, shut up, shut up. Um, but give that a go. Give that a go. Yeah. Um, but th- but Especially then if you ch- are stuck in traffic at the time with your, with elderly relatives. Yes. Yeah. Just keep doing that. <laughs> but then you've also got, you know, John Hurt's great. Oh, it's a, he's it's a so great, good. It's a great cast. It made me sad that he was dead, actually. He died relatively recently, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's a it's a terrific cast in general. Um, and I think they all sort of um, do a do a really good job and it all works incredibly well. Obviously, John Hurt is renowned for his um, dystopian movies. So, you know, you've yeah. got 1984. The daddy I, of them all. Yeah, I guess Alien's kind of dystopian in its approach, yeah. you know. Was his voice? There is no, no other voice on film like his. No, no, exactly. Um, and 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 he's great here. He's really great. Um, he drinks his milk. <laughs> he drinks his milk. So I'd say that you know I think Natalie Portman's a bit of a letdown, and I, I think maybe you know they wanted yeah, she's to. She's a some... bit wet milk, isn't she? Yeah. Um, and I think they clearly wanted to get a big star in, and I think that did a lot of good having a big star, but. I wonder if having someone British would have been better here. Absolutely. I generally like her, but her accent is a bit ropey and she, yeah, her performance is a bit wet and there are, it's like could you not have gotten a British actor to compliment all the others? Yeah, and it, and it doesn't it doesn't help that they kind of sanitized her character versus the comic where you know in the comic she's a prostitute and everything like that. Yeah. Um so they kind of put her into this other position which took away from that nasty edge. And then put someone so alien to British culture in that way as a big American movie star. You didn't feel um, like she had much agency. Did no, you? no. And I think in the comics, she definitely does have that agency, although it does play with the idea of how much of the control of her as a protege to V is her own undertaking and how much of it is almost her being brainwashed by him. Here, you never really even got that sense as much, I suppose. No, and when um, V first shows up, while she's being um, attacked by the the finger men, he does talk a bit like a men's rights activist, and she does kind of buy it. Yes, yeah, um, is negging. Yeah, the way that he talks is very like if it was now, you could imagine him wearing a fedora. Yes, and yeah. just sitting behind his keyboard, going, "Chivalry is dead." <laughs> Which is which is interesting because obviously um, the the guy Forks mask became this big part of geek culture and I guess kind of still is but but geek culture has unfortunately moved on from hackers on the internet to Nazis in the streets holding tiki torches um, and so the the sort of anarcho the, the tech anarchy behind groups like um, Anonymous. I was going to say what happened to Anonymous? You don't hear much from them these days, do you? Well. Th- the the main sort of anonymous group that was responsible for all of those big hacks, um, one of them was turned by the FBI or the CIA. I can't remember which. I think it was the CIA, and then basically ratted out the rest of that group. Right, and they're all serving prison or have gone underground. So that's kind of why the core message hasn't been seen in a while. But that kind of hacking it all moved into the and we haven't got occupy now anyway have we we've got extinction rebellion instead exactly the the latest boogeyman for the for the right wing yeah um the latest people who want bad things to be good and are telling you very voraciously about it they are bad yes and and they do make misguided decisions like the idiots who split off from the main group to go and stop people from getting on the tube in the morning yeah, and the spraying fake blood everywhere on the street because they lost control of the hose. <laughs> I mean, I don't care about that. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. But, um, but yeah, stopping regular people from using public transport that we want more people to use for the good of the environment, that was a really silly decision to make. <laughs> I'm That's sorry. a dick move. That was, that was bad. Um, but yeah, and so I guess it's interesting because you still have these hacking groups, but now a lot of them seem to be working or all the successful ones seem to be working on behalf of states. So, you know, people who hack the Democratic Party servers or who do hacks on behalf of Russia 
or yeah. wiki or WikiLeaks dispensing information that has clearly come from somewhere that's aiming at a specific, not particularly good political message, rather than those people that were going out and grabbing random things and distributing them. There's it's very much been weaponized by the right wing, um, which is an interesting way that it's gone, and I'm definitely not the way that the people who started up that kind of anonymous movement would would have wanted it to go. No. But yeah, the masks, you don't see them around as much now, but I feel like if you show that to anyone, they will know that that's a symbol of Anonymous and all that kind of rebellion and stuff. So that wouldn't have happened if the comic and the film hadn't been good and influential. Yeah, and that that's definitely the work of the movie um, as well. So as, as, as well-renowned as the comic is, um, the movie really pushed that kind of message out there. And even Yeah, it was a really big, successful right, film. It, yeah, it made a huge success. It's incredibly culturally um culturally well regarded and i think um you know um hbo has launched or, or has announced its new streaming service and one of the things that it said is hey how about going to watch viva vendetta oh really and so even this how is it 12 years since viva vendetta came out yeah even, 2000, uh 14 years 2005 oh wow okay um yeah. so, so even then it is um this cultural touchstone this movie um and and hopefully, you know, people watch it and then they go on to read the comic and they, they understand those kind of different methods of storytelling that they have. Yeah, and that obviously we are heading towards these kind of fascist states, aren't we, without wishing to put too fine a point on it or be too, too Nostradamus about it. The way that things are moving is towards people, you know, voting for these kind of oppressive regimes. Yeah, and I think the, the, the real powerful message here is that people do willingly buy into it and, and yeah. you see that time and time again you see you know why why are the people behind grenfell not in prison exactly why are they yeah. still allowed to be in government like it's um, been yeah what three years yeah two years it was the anniversary this week wasn't it and they haven't put in any kind of regulation to do with sprinklers that's the thing that i find the most fucked up and the most baffling about this the obvious response is to look at it and go how can we practically make sure that this never happens again maybe by saying that all tower blocks have to have sprinklers because it didn't have fucking sprinklers like it's just blindingly obvious and the fact that people aren't clamoring out for that people aren't endlessly lobbying for that shows you that actually even on a kind of subconscious level people buy into this idea that regulation is bad just as a neoliberal thing and that's how you end up with fascist states and 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 baby-headed asshole gavin barwell is going to be sauntering off into the lords being given balloon on a stick (laughs) um after being you know that um he wrote a book called how to win a marginal seat and like two weeks after it came out he lost his seat yes it's beautiful but but you know he's he's one of the the main monsters behind grenfell he 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 is a real piece of work and he's being given a, a seat in the lords in Theresa may's resignation honors yeah um, because he followed like, her around saying telling her what she wanted to hear for a couple of years whereas he should be in prison for what he's done and and so we we already are in a society to to quote the joker and various memes we we live in a society um <laughs> where <laughs> but, but but we do we already live in this society where people with power and who can play dirty are still easy they find it easy to get away with it because they have money or they have a position of power where it's easy to do so yeah um and people believe that those things mean something yeah exactly and 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 the 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 british love more than nothing else the idea of a benevolent aristocracy and they will happily buy into that and vote for it time and time again even though every time it leads to people dying yeah genuinely Uh, like with brexit you know health secretary matt hancock saying that he couldn't guarantee that people would not die as the result of a no deal brexit Um, and people still want it to happen a man who has not enough cocks in his name to define who he is (laughs) as a person Yeah, you've caught me. You've caught me in a revolutionary mood, and it's not just because I watched V for Vendetta today. I was gonna say I, w- I did respond to this film by thinking, yeah, let's fucking rise up. Man. Um, but also, I've been playing a great game called The Outer Worlds, which is a perfect 
um, criticism of late-stage capitalism. Where, oh, I thought you were going to say Untitled Goose Game, well, <laughs> which I've been meaning to ask you about for about a oh, month. I mean, that is the most revolution-based game. You take on all of these people, you steal their shit, you hoard it for yourself in the name of Goose Kind. What more can you want? Um, but but yeah, so The Outer Worlds, you are someone who, uh, searching for work and purpose, decides to go on a colony ship out to this um this this colony in the out in this outer world so it's a few planets around a sun um however something goes wrong on your ship you then get woken up 70 years later by this revolutionary scientist who's like trying to spark change in the sector and you find out that something went wrong and the corporations that run everything covered it up because it would look bad for them and and that kind of sets the whole tone for the thing so that you you then go down onto these planets you find out hey there's this corporation running this place that's running things incredibly poorly for the workers and then you can decide what you want to do with that whether you want to support the companies to make your make yourself a load of money and get yourself power you can make things better for the workers without putting through great change or you can take a risk in pushing forward weird kooks who live entirely outside of the system and hoping that their terrible ideas don't get everybody killed and and, right. and and so it's really interesting the way that it sort of ties together okay if you really if you really stick to your ideology you could go for these people who've got this little greenhouse running um or you could look after the majority of the people where if you don't support them they're probably going to have their jobs cut off by the corporation and they're probably all going to die and and so it's really interesting the way that it's sort of it toys with your emotions of the middle ground but the more i play it the more i'm like yeah mate i'm just going to go and help these revolutionaries i'm going to go help them get their printing press set up instead of helping these people who are being murdered by bugs because i want them to spread their good old far left message <laughs> that kind of thing um that sounds really good and, and so alongside that also refused the greatest punk band of of ever i really love refuse they have a new album out which is great oh, and it's really? got songs with titles like oh, i'll have to check uh, it out economy of death and things like that so if you want a good old good old left-wing message to listen to and get a bit of yeah. righteous anger refused the to, they're great because they've got they're the perfect level of shouty yes yeah they they are you know they, they, they're very much in the sort of post-hardcore side of punk um but in the best possible way but and very technically talented as well um, yeah so yeah <laughs> but without feeling the need to masturbate yeah exactly exactly yeah you know, they'd have ended up in prog rock bands if they were any any more technical um so so that's amazing so yeah i've been i've been playing a game where i get to be a futuristic left-wing revolutionary i've been listening to refused and you've you you chose poorly in terms of calming me down given the state of politics in this country I do guess. you hear the people sing singing, singing the song. a song of <laughs> exactly you know the, 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 given the state of this country at the moment i am very angry and yeah although you must be glad that we're not doing a brexit tomorrow we're recording this the day before halloween even though you'll hear it after halloween yeah i am glad that we're not entirely shitting our pants in front of the world stage tomorrow and that we've postponed yeah. it by oh, and there's going to be a christmas election yeah who's going to be driving home for christmas after losing their seat i'm looking forward to seeing labor completely fail to take seats from the tories because they can't get their shit together yeah no they i think they're going to crash and burn honestly um lib dems are going to even if they somehow come up with a coherent brexit policy between now and then that is genuinely a message that people can get behind who aren't you know, already bought into the idea of Labour. I don't know, man. It's just not going to happen. Did you not see that Jeremy Corbyn was on a train when England were playing in the rugby? Therefore, he's not patriotic enough. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> was, the, was the train ram-packed, to use his bastardised phrase, and was he having to sit on the floor? <laughs> Shit on the floor. Um, see, I I want to just bash the heads of the left-wing parties together and say, look at the Greens. Look at how the Greens are willing to compromise with other people to make sure that the Tories don't get in. You, Lib Dems, stop being weird neocons under a yellow banner and help the idiots in red get their shit together and put together a coherent plan and come up with a plan of action where you don't stand against each other in marginal seats so that you get the fucking Tories out. Yeah, exactly. That's all it should really be about. 
But Brexit is such a divisive issue that it's, yeah, this is why it should, all this shit should never have happened in the first place. And it's all David Cameron's fault. And his book was in the bestseller charts. I have to read those charts every week and see that this fucking book was in it. Who's buying this shit? Idiots. For Who wants to read David Cameron's memoirs? Id- idiots like, buying things for other idiots. That's what it is. It was of a smug, moon-faced asshole who brought about the biggest peacetime crisis in this country and is doing just fine since going, oh, okay, this is bad. I'm fucking off now. Oh, he is the most spineless jellyfish of a of man. Of course he is. He's, he's, he's a, a minnow. He's a rich white man. He's going to be fine whatever. If he'd had as much as half a bollock... He just stood up on the day of that referendum result and gone, okay, I hear you. This referendum isn't, you know, it's advisory. It's not legally binding. It's very close. But look, if we leave the EU, everything will be really shit. So we're not going to do it. Sorry, we'll try and do some other stuff and reform it from within. There you go. But the th- and yes, he'd have been crucified in the gutter press for years. But, but the thing is, even, even- that, was what, that was what he really thought. And that was his conviction. And yeah. But even if you didn't have to... Even if you didn't want to honour the result of the re- of the referendum, okay, that's suicide in the polls. And if you think, okay, well, I need to honour this, the obvious fucking choice that they should have done from day one is say, okay, we're going to go into the Norwegian model where we're effectively a member state of the EU but without a say in it. And then going forward, we can decide whether we want to rescind our, our ties with the EU further. Like that yeah, would have been exactly. the obvious There are some choice. different ways you could approach it. But instead, we've got all of these fucking morons, and it's from every bloody party. And I'm sorry, but the Lib Dems are also shit on this because they they attack Labour more than they attack the Tories, which says a lot about their leader. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's left wing infighting, na- the narcissism of minor differences. Yeah, and, and and you know you do get that sense that the, the 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 leadership of the Lib Dems voted for a lot of the austerity measures and haven't actually apologised for doing so. And so you do kind of think are they more concerned about getting a left-wing party getting in than stopping Brexit, even though they talk so much about stopping Brexit? I'm not entirely convinced. But I'd still vote for them over the Tories if it meant that the Tories didn't get in, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. It's it's the lesser of two weevils. So why don't they work together to sort it out? Just sort it out. You know what I, I heard about is mentioned in David Cameron's book is that when he wanted to do the whole big raising tuition fees thing, and that had been one of Nick Clegg's pledges, um, and Nick said he was going to support David Cameron, George Osborne advised him not to, because George Osborne could see that it was going to be like, you know, electoral suicide, um, or that like people were going to disown him. And he was like, actually, mate, with it, you know, you should probably oppose this for your own ends. And Nick Clegg was such a like, you know, suck up to the idea of the coalition that he did it. How awful is that? They are awful. Just yell. You know, when George Osborne's the one talking the most sense in a room, <laughs> you've, you've got, got to find a, a new you've got room. A problem, haven't you? Um, yeah, and that—that's why I don't fully trust them. Is I don't—I don't necessarily think that they've changed their ways enough. And yes, they're making a good name for being the anti-Brexit party, but how much of that is just trying to get ahead of Labour in the polls again? And I think. And I well, think yeah, a lot exactly. of it comes down to that. And the fact that they don't seem willing to compromise at all says a lot about where they are, where everyone's just power hungry. No one cares about the public. Exactly. And it's such a huge issue as, you know, as, as I say, never been faced since the Second World War. It's got the biggest peacetime crisis and they all just care about their own power. So, Which is why we need people like so, Pete. Yeah, I was going to say, that. So what, I'm, what I'm saying with <laughs> so this is, that... you know, I wouldn't be too, ba- too sad if a strange mass vigilante went and started killing people (laughs) (laughs) yeah blew up the houses of parliament on a tube line that definitely goes under the houses (laughs) of definitely does you know that that's how it works (laughs) um yeah and so i i think that's the main problem is that train's headed for parliament how does she know that (laughs) she wouldn't know that um you could guess it contextually obviously uh, and i guess that's one of the things that works so well but also doesn't about this is um the whole thing's supposed to be, oh, we shouldn't really be supporting V in this because, you know, he is a terrorist and he is murdering these people and maybe not all of them are bad. But at the moment, I'm just like, yeah, go on, mate. Sort it out. Yeah, <laughs> do, it, do, it. do it. Get on the train, hit you, that lever. You, you blow up some stuff. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But I think the, the fact that we're feeling that mood from it does shows that it is an effective film. Yes, yeah, it is. It is effective. And... and 
I'm I'm glad I rewatched it, and I wouldn't necessarily think I won't rewatch it again. I've seen this movie a few times, um, and I think part of the problem comes from if it's not Alan Moore's best work, it's his most cohesive. I suppose um, it's it's the most consistently good, and so when a movie isn't able to match that, it feels like a bit of a letdown. But actually, it is a it is a decent enough adaptation of a work that probably would be very hard to adapt. Yeah, if you're able to just slightly but not completely divorce it from the context of the comics, I think perhaps it's that little bit more effective and you're that bit more forgiving in your assessment of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if I think if you came to it without having read the comics, um you'd you'd really enjoy it and I think you'd still get the same kind of theme from it, even if there's slight oh, differences. Yeah. Um, you, you'd still get the general message of it, which is great. Of course. And the comic doesn't have the um, Benny Hill theme tune playing while Stephen Fry does his comedy sketch. So you No, know. if you want that, you've got to you've got to put on the Benny Hill theme as you're reading it. Yeah, <laughs> which might start to grate after a while. <laughs> yes, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. See, that's a good use of British culture. And you know what else is really good about this film is they say bollocks a lot. They do, which is an underused Which is word. the most British word. Yeah, that and bellend. That bellend and bullbag yeah. are the <laughs> ultimate British terms. Bollocks, bellend and bullbag. Yeah. Didn't they have a hit in the in 1988? <laughs> no, <laughs> Christmas, no. Christmas they, number um, one. <laughs> no, they are the um, law firm that was able to keep getting um, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day onto, onto Christmas singles. Oh, it's like a legal conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> dear God. <laughs> Um yeah, so I and, lo- I'd um Roger Allen. I didn't I forgot he was in this. He's great. Peter Mannion from the thick of it. Peter but obviously Mannion. before that. Yeah. Yeah. Um one of the most underappreciated characters in the thick of it. I think actually he is just perfect. That's the sort of put upon Tory MP who doesn't really get all this woke digital nonsense. <laughs> yeah. He's one of the um he's one of the best actually, I think. He's great in in the show. And I think a lot of people didn't like the final series of The Thick of It as as much as the rest, but I kind of think it's the best. I thought it was really yeah, good. I, I thought it really took it to another level. Yeah. And also kind of then bowed out at the right time as well. It did. It definitely did. It knew what it was doing. For sure. It's um it's a really great um Yeah, it's a really it's a really great um show and I think it really works perfectly. Um, so but yeah, Roger Allen in that, Roger Allen in this not dissimilar character, but you know, everything I see him in, I like him in. Yes, yeah, very much so, very much so. And yeah, Stephen Rea as the detective, he's good. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it does a good job of his character. You still have that sympathy for him where he's 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 stuck between doing his duty as a police officer as a as a detective and then having to do his job as a tool of the state and 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 they managed to tie that through well between the comic and and the 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 movie i think it worked very well yeah you, you as, yeah you're right that's the very definition of um definition of a sympathetic character which again i think is a thing that people often misunderstand it doesn't mean you have to be sympathetic towards an evil character but you have to understand where people are coming from and it gets across where he's coming from quite well yes yeah yeah for sure um yeah so i enjoyed watching this again this was good yeah me too it's it's a good plot it's gripping it's well put together all the british institutions all work as you say even though it's an americanized version of britain there's there's a bit where a guy in a guy forks masks robs a shop and shouts anarchy in the uk which is obviously the most british thing you can do yes <laughs> that is the ultimate british thing you can do now with the romantic plot do you do you believe the idea of romance between them because obviously it's it's kind of um overblown in the film compared to what it is in the yeah because in the comic it's it's very much more of a protege relationship um, yeah, it doesn't explicitly say anything that's romantic. Whereas, she does. She doesn't kiss the mask, does she? No, no. Whereas here, it's a um, here. It's very much a. Oh, is there some romantic tension between them? And I don't really buy it. I think it didn't really need it. 
Um, and I think if it no. focused more on the protege relationship, it maybe would have been better. Um, it's it's a bit of schmaltz, isn't yeah. it? Um, Which is obviously what we're all about. Yes, yeah, we love our schmaltz. But when we're when we're feeling in our revolutionary moods, maybe it's not the most appropriate thing. When we have these kind of episodes, maybe it's like just you know keep the schmaltz away so we can be angry about Brexit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want I want to be furious about politics. That's what I want. Yep. I don't want my vigilantes being in love. I need them to do important stuff, <laughs> please. Them. Stop being in love and start murdering politicians. Come on, guys. Yeah. It's not that hard. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, it's good. So, right. And obviously, you've got the whole thing of ideas are bulletproof. Yes. Which is, That's cool. Which is a nice idea. It's clever. Um, and it's the kind of theme that people can fold up and put in their pockets and take home with them yeah as as uh, the wachowski's work goes this isn't as good as jupiter ascending is it no that's a beautiful film zero rocket skates on little dog men yep um yeah zero eddie redmayne going i am so evil oh you can tell i'm evil because i talk (laughs) like this Oh. <laughs> that is a great film. I might rewatch it. Actually. Yeah, I might rewatch it sometime. The the one thing of theirs that I really want to rewatch is The Matrix, actually, which I've not watched in years. I haven't watched that in years either, actually. Which I I I, I dig that film a lot. At least I seem to remember yeah. digging it a lot. God, it was um, such a big deal when it came out, wasn't it? It and and I bet it still holds up. You know, absolutely. I bet the first I mean, Matrix the sequels, still holds up. Rah. I mean, the sequels were bad at the time, so I imagine that yeah. <laughs> probably not great now. Um, but again, but, they, know, they only wanted Keone. to make two, didn't they? And then they forced them to to drag it out into a trilogy. Yeah. Um, but of course, now they're doing a fourth one. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so they're going to do a, a fourth Matrix movie they announced. I'm not sure how much they've actually confirmed about it so far, but it is... Is it going to be the same cast? Keanu and Hugo Weaving and... Fishbone. Oh, that's the question. I'm not sure. I think um, that Jada Plinkett Smith is talking about being in it. So, in terms of minor characters, cool. Um, and I, I think Keanu Reeves is going to be in it, but I'm not sure about anybody else. I mean, Keanu Reeves can do no wrong. No, he's amazing. Um, he also just seems like a very genuinely nice man. Yes, yeah, he's great. Um, and I wonder if they'll get Lawrence Fishburne back in and Carrie Ann Moss as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, I might rewatch that. Yeah, I might, I might, I might go watch that and watch Jupiter Ascending too and um, Cloud Atlas. They did Cloud Atlas as well, didn't they? Yeah, I haven't seen that. We studied the book, didn't we, back in the day? See again, I read it, but I don't think I did the module that you did where right. you read Cloud Atlas. Um, so That's I have, good. I have read it, but uh, not studied it in the same way. Um, from of course David Mitchell, but not that David yeah. Mitchell. Not not that one. No, I've met him <laughs> through work. Oh, really, really, oh. really nice guy. He always and looks a he, fiercely he... intelligent guy who's written so many different books on so many different subjects and different types of stories. And yeah, really incredible. Yes, yeah, so, and that's the thing is, so much of his work is different from the rest. He's he's a really versatile um, writer who can really. I don't know, tell different stories in different ways, which is which is and a real rare. It's really, really deep, but never pretentious. Yes, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like Cloud Atlas is a very interesting book from a structural perspective. Um, and yeah. sometimes that can come across as a gimmick, but it works incredibly well, I think. Yeah. He's totes a genius. Yes, yeah. He's a good one. Cool. You got anything else to say about V for Vendetta? We, we've just kind of glossed over the romantic element and gone, it's there. Yeah, doesn't really work. Oh, that, whatever, that, it's fine. That, that's kind of what they did with the st- with the writing of it, though, isn't it? It's like, oh, should yeah. we put in some romance? Yeah, we probably should do, shouldn't we? Okay, nah, chuck let, it in. Let's have a scene of um, the High Chancellor crushing his glass of milk instead. <laughs> I love that. He crushed that glass of milk. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, so, shall I give you some trivia before we close out? Yes, please do. Um, so, the domino scene... Um, at the end, that consisted of 22,000 Domino's, Domino's pizza. not pizzas, although I could definitely go for 22,000 Domino's pizzas right now. 
um, and it took four professional domino assemblers 200 hours to set it up. Wow. Um, yeah. Imagine being um, a professional domino guy. I know, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, I'd so do that. I, I would do that as well. That'd be great. Um, certain scenes in this movie featured James Purfoy as V, who was originally cast in the role, but was then replaced by Hugo Weaving. Oh, really? And then they just dubbed Did Weaving's voice. Did he redub the voice? Right, yeah. Because, you know, you can't really... Uh, <laughs> you can't really tell, can you? It's, uh, yeah. Um, and then, once again, the curse of filming in central London. Um, the cast and crew were only allowed to shoot near the British Parliament and the clock tower from midnight to 4.30am. And they could only stop traffic for four minutes at a time. Um, which I know that Danny Boyle had similar problems 28 days later, didn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. Where they, he, he did some of that without permission just to get around the restrictions on, on what he was doing. Um, but yeah, so, so that's a little bit of trivia for you. Um, so how are we gonna how are we gonna rate this bad boy? Um, let's see how many boxes of explosives are on your train that is heading towards Parliament on the very real tube line that runs under Parliament. Mm, mm. So I'm gonna go for thirteen. Thirteen for me. Yeah, that's that's about what I had in mind as well. I'll go for thirteen as well. Let's keep keep it unified. It's good. It's well worth watching. Well worth your time, especially if you haven't seen it. You'll probably get a lot out of it. And it might make you fired up. Yeah, get fired up. Go listen to Refused. Yeah. Um, put on put on some ra- um, Radiohead. Don't put on Radiohead. You get all, <laughs> no. Get all depressed. Well, it'll get afterwards. me fired up, but for different reasons. <laughs> Go put on some Rage Against the Machine afterwards as well. I have been listening to them a fair bit or recently. Again, there's lots of good live albums on there on Spotify. Even versions of them doing like Bullet in the Head from 1990 or whatever. And it's so oh, good. Oh, cool. Are you, are you now refusing to tidy your room? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's more of a I cannot tidy my room because we have a baby situation, but he doesn't want to tidy his room either. Fuck you, I've now got a baby. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Anyway, right. So uh, that's it for us, I think. It's my choice next, isn't it? It it is yes. This is my choice. So what what do you got? Hit me. So we had a movie sent through to us. During Halloween month, which I know you were excited about. I, I was, I was. And I was definitely excited about. Um, it is a... <laughs> it's Love is Blind, the movie about the person who <laughs> who has selective perception, who cannot see the person that she's falling in love with, um, starring our boy Aidan Turner, a.k.a. Poldark. So this oh, came out earlier this year. I think man. it's on... I think it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I can't remember which, but um, it looks like a beautiful, beautiful train wreck of a film, and I really want to watch it. It looks really awful in the best possible way. Yeah. Oh, Matthew so, Broderick's in it. Yeah, Matthew Broderick's in it too. Chloe Savigny. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to watching this, <laughs> um, and I hope you all are too. Yeah, I'm well excited. Let's say no more about it because yeah. I think that's good, but I'm really excited. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Cool. All right. Well, do we have anything else to say, or shall we just say to people, go out and find some bulletproof ideas, do crime? Yeah, go go work out how you want to give us a beautiful left-wing government, people. S- serious point. Work out how best to tactical vote in Yes, that's in your true. Area. Look at your constituency and what you can do. Yeah, and don't, I think there are, there are websites that have guides to how to do that stuff. Remember that our political system is a sham, and so think, you've got um, Nicholas Soames, haven't you? Isn't he stepping down? Yeah, so I wonder who we're going to get. Which spineless oaf is going to replace Nicholas Soames? Um, I'm I'm very excited to find out. But yeah, so so think about think about how you can vote tactically to get the Tories out. If you're a conservative, don't vote. I'm sorry, just don't do it. If you're a conservative, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> It's not for you. Uh, they might be listening for our for our opinions on great movies, but people always say, "Oh, everybody should go out and vote." No, they shouldn't. I'm sorry if you're right. No, wing, idiots shouldn't, because that's how we ended up in this situation in the first place. Or if place. you're mean or cruel, or if you vote conservative, don't go out and vote. Just let other people vote. It's fine. Yeah, no, it, you can put your feet up and not vote on voting day. You know. Uh, did you know that this that um, if you if you voted leave in the EU referendum, your polling date is different. 
So um, your your polling date is the thirteenth of December that's instead. Right, it's a special right. like follow through thing to make sure they're tracking the data. So yeah, thirteenth of December if you voted leave. Yeah, yeah. Right wing and left wing people they're voting on different days, so make sure that you vote on the thirteenth instead. Yep. That's how it works. Wing. That's how it works now. <laughs> right. Okay. I think that's enough. I'm I'm losing it here. Very good, very good. Well, um, thanks as always for tuning in. We really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoyed watching V for Vendetta, which I think is a nice segue out of Halloween month and into the the strange nonsense month of November. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Well, we always never know quite what to do until we get into Christmas carnage. Yeah, there's that strange limbo before Christmas, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Which obviously I'm very excited about. Now we spent half the episode talking about Wizard, anyway. <laughs> hell yeah yeah um, and we'll be back next week to talk about love is blind 2019 oh yeah but um you can email us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com tweet us if you have any other film recommendations for terrible looking films always want to always want to hear them yes yeah if you've got anything you want us to watch let us know um i think we're probably going to be good between now and the new year because we do have pretty much everything we need to watch for Christmas lined up. But um, even so, give us a shout. We'll add it to our list and we will get round to watching it. Yeah, as we'll, soon as we we'll get to it eventually, for sure. Alrighty. All right. And we'll be back next week. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There ought to be a law with the sheriff.